Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste, a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew for tabletop role-playing games. This is a podcast where we're going to stir the pot and lick the spoon. I'm Ian Woodworth and I'm here with my co-host James Daly and welcome to our inaugural episode of Undercommon Taste. Woohoo! Woohoo! And I think today we're mainly going to be talking about our mission statement, what we're going to be expecting from ourselves in this podcast, what you can expect from us, the sort of projects that we're hoping to undertake, just an overview of what we are planning to do here. This is, yeah, kind of what we're doing, why, how, and why you want to spend an hour a week listening to us ramble about our ideas, because our ideas are awesome. You should spend an hour a week listening to us. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're not just two schmucks on the internet who think we know what we're doing. Except we're two schmucks on the internet who think we know what we're doing. Shh! <laughs> don't spoil the secret, James! Damn it. Okay, never mind. Um, I mean, we're, we're, we're awesome. Yes, that, that one. <laughs> yeah, that one. That one. That one. Um, so yeah, I am my group's perennial DM. I've been running games for probably the last 12, 13 years or so. I started in D&D 3.5. I've run a bunch of games in 3.5, a bunch of games in 5e couple games in other systems. Paranoia was a big one right at the beginning of my career, so I've got a little bit of experience dealing with this sort of thing. I almost exclusively use homebrew content in my games. I'll pull monsters from the published work, but other than that, just about everything that I present to my characters is homebrew. So the world, the scenarios, uh, a lot of the magic items. Now for me, my intro into gaming, or at least for tabletop gaming, is almost completely different. I've been playing D&D the past seven or eight years, maybe. I was kind of really late into the game. I started playing at 3.5, but I remember when I was in elementary school, way back when, someone on the lunch break, and it was them and their friends had an old Matt, and they were playing uh, version two of all the things. And it was something that always made me curious and I kind of wanted to watch and get an understanding of the game. I grew up in one of those families that, you know, if you play the evil Dungeons and Dragons, you're gonna, you know, it was drugs, sex, Dungeons and Dragons, they will all ruin your life, that kind of thing. So it was one of those forbidden things for some reason. I never understood why, but seeing the mechanics of the game and there was a set system and rules. And I always found that very fascinating. So again, I was rather late to tabletop gaming. I did a lot of online gaming, so a lot of old online rpgs things like baldur's gate neverwinter nights even fallout the original fallouts you know were built off a a fairly standard framework of old dungeons and dragons and wizards of the coast games so i like story i like throwing out ideas i like the basic balance and mechanics of the in the book texts you know as the characters are given that being said for me what makes DD magic are those moments where the game goes completely off the rails you make a stone golem for your party to fight and beat up on and maybe get some good gems and stone for xp and rewards and instead they decide to add this new npc into your party so crap what do i do now now i have to create a stone golem character and how do i do that how do i balance that and those characters become alive and it's those off the wall memorable moments that make the game so much fun and going back to getting started late into DD, i didn't actually play DD or any tabletop game until i was in college that was the product of me being a southwest virginia farm boy i grew up 
on a farm in the sticks and I didn't have anyone around me that I could get together and play with. And even if I did, I got chores to do. I didn't have the time growing up to just go and hang out with friends and play a game. And that's set on multiple levels. I mean, one, playing games and, and developing socially is great. I wish D&D and other tabletop games didn't get the bad reputation they did in the 80s. One thing I think that tabletop gaming particularly like this is great for is critical thinking and improv. That moment, again, where something comes completely out of left field, and here are the tools you have, here are the resources you have, how are you going to fix this problem, and go. That's something you see gets neglected a lot nowadays. I substitute teach. I teach at a museum. So I, I do a lot of interaction with students, which is great. But you see that's lacking in a lot of the current curriculum is that critical thinking or that, you know, to use the buzzwords, thinking outside of the box. Taking your information and doing something different than your rote memorization, applying things to test. It's world building. And that's something we're going to discuss throughout our podcast. But yeah, you have all these things and sure, everybody does something this way, but here's your rope and here's your hook. You can make a grappling hook or you can make a fish hook. One of my favorite homebrew things I saw in 3.5 was that someone took thunderstones and a uh, it wasn't a lightning rod, but it was a, another stone that created a, a bright light. And this person basically took them together. A what? A sunrod. A sunrod, yes. And they combined the thunderstone and the sunrod to basically make a flashbang. Why would that not work? That is a perfect, here are the tools you have, I need something, and they created it. And that was absolutely perfect. And that kind of random thinking should be embraced. And I think those are skills as an adult that would take anybody far. Any adult can always, you know, there's always room for improvement. So I think that educationally, socially, there is a lot that tabletop gaming has to offer. And what we're planning to try and do here, whether we succeed or not, what we're trying to do here is to give a taste of what we do to modify the game to give it our special flavor. How we go about creating a homebrew race. How we would modify a race that is already existing to make it a little more user-friendly or a little more balanced things like how we go about creating magic items, when we would give magic items to a party, what level we would give different rarities of magic items, eventually creating monsters in 5e or in whatever system we end up moving to eventually, how to edit monsters to take a low-level monster and make them a high-level monster, something like how to take a pack of dire wolves and beef them up to challenge a 12th level party something like that and that balance is very important in any game you don't want something so hard that your characters are all going to die yes character death is a very real possibility in DD. i know most games i play of the games try to hold back from that for various reasons but it is a possibility inversely if you play a video game and you put the cheat code for god mode on and you wait through yeah sure you get to the story but do you really remember the game it was boring nobody likes that yeah i mean in the games that i run i'm not an adversarial dm i'm not going to go out of my way to try to kill off my players but that said in my most recent game that i was playing we got through session zero session one they wake up 
they were on a ship that got destroyed by a kraken. And so at the beginning of session one, they wake up washed up on the beach. And there are Sahagin on the beach going through, picking through, picking off the survivors and the stragglers and dragging things back into the ocean. And they have a chull with them. And the party wakes up and my sorcerer rolls really poorly on her perception check. And so she's surprised for the first round, sitting there coughing up water. The chull comes up to her and gets a crit on her on its very first attack and drops her. Boom. You know, massive damage, instant death. Because she's, and that happens because, sometimes. Because she's a, a level one sorcerer, she had, I think, six or seven hit points maybe eight hit points and it was that's still beefy for a sorcerer it's because they're d6 now in fifth edition and she had a plus one or plus two con mod so she had i think she had eight hit points and she got hit with a crit right off the bat by a chull which you know double damage on the die and i happened to roll max damage on that die and so that was i think 18 points of damage and so it dropped her to negative 10, which was more negative than her max hit points. And so she was instantly killed in one hit. Right. And that does happen. And that's just one of the weird twists of the game, which can be fun. Now, at that point, it becomes how well or how familiar is the character is, how well the DM is going to roll with that. I mean, that could be a, hey, everybody take a drink by you. You're going to re-roll a new character. Everybody laughs about it. If it's a brand new character... That's a hard introduction into the game. You know, congratulations, new game. You're already dead. Now you're going to sit in the corner and watch people play for 15 minutes while you try to figure out how to re-roll a character. And luckily, she's a good friend of mine. She's played in a bunch of my games before. But I felt really, really bad because she had gone on Hero Forge and bought a custom mini for this character and had already painted it and was looking forward to playing this half-orc sorcerer in my game and was just so excited about it. And then I just killed her. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's something we want to discuss too and we'll touch on later is DMing tricks and mods and things like that. Not mods, but tips and and ways to handle things that is also one of the big drawbacks of the game is very few people enjoy DMing I had some friends that used to work in construction they said never become known as the guy good at doing drywall because then the only thing you will ever do is drywall it kind of happens like that as a DM Ian's a great DM I love playing his games but then Ian almost never actually gets to play as a character he's always the DM you DM probably what 80-90% of your game Yeah, something like that. I think the game that I have a character in that you're running right now, that's the first character that I have gotten to play in a campaign since I was in the D&D Next playtest, which was the playtest for 5e. Oh, wow. That's that's a crazy long time. Yeah. Now, for me, I do enjoy DMing to a point. And the great thing about DMing is I love brainstorming. And that's one of the things I love working with Ian is we've done a lot of stuff together. I come up with these crazy off-the-wall ideas because that's just what I do. I, I just generate a crap ton of ideas. And Ian's always able to take that idea and refine them a little bit better. So as a DM, I can come up with all these crazy ideas and I can kind of craft them up and I can just throw them on the table as monsters. So I get to play all these weird characters and I kind of get to see what works and what doesn't work and then if i really fall in love with one i might roll that as a player character for me later on i am very strong in the mechanics side of it but i sometimes have trouble coming up with something new and creative and i can always rely on james to throw something out of left field that i'm like yes we can run with that 
And so that's what makes us great partners. I always say that Ian takes my terrible ideas and makes them just a little bit more terrible. So they're fun and terrible, which is great. You know, we've had a lot of shenanigans together. So that's... I take your terrible ideas and make them mechanically feasible. Yes, exactly. It's the best kind of terrible. It's the terrible that works within the rules of the game. Exactly. And I mean our terrible ideas even outside of the game, but exactly (laughs) that. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a couple of those. But going through, like I said, things we want to work on, we're going to brainstorm. We do initially, we plan on creating several characters at a time. So we're going to create a batch of characters and items. And then eventually we're going to invite some friends and we're actually going to play test these to see if they are in fact balanced, if they're completely embed, if they're broken, if they're overpowered, if they're fun. And so that's the other thing too, is we're going to describe the hows and whys of we're going to take something. We're going to take your fantasy and just throw all those rules out and put our own rules in because our rules are better. But we're going to explain why we chose those. It's not completely random. And then, like I said, at the end of everything, we want to see if they're playable so hopefully that if you stick with us and you like our ideas we play and we find they're balanced or even if we find they're not balanced we're going to take those ideas and we're going to publish them out we're going to post them up online and if you need a ready-made character for something weird or different feel free to grab one and use it and run with it and have fun with it yeah absolutely what we're going to all right so just in case i'm not able to edit that out that is another important point that i need to bring up is that james does have tourette's Yes, I do. And so I'm going to try to edit out any vocal tics, but I may not be able to. And if I'm not able to, I'm going to try and fiddle with them enough to where they don't blow out your speakers. Yes, that's always... And I've done that before. Uh, way back in my old WoW rating days, at had a uh, <laughs> 40-man group going into Carthiris and twitched right as I hit the push to talk button and got cussed out by several people for a good five minutes for blowing up their eardrums. <laughs> James is fun. You always know when you show up somewhere if James is there because you're there for five minutes and then you hear bring and you're like, yep, there he is. You will hear me far before you see me. And I'm not small. No, no. But (laughs) so what we're planning to do for the first batch for our first homebrew showcase, we're going to be taking four different races. I think we had decided on we're going to do four monstrous races and we're going to take the four classes that you can get from Wizards of the Coast in the free rule set. So the fighter, the rogue, the wizard, and the cleric. And we are going to build four monster race PCs using those classes, but we're going to be altering the published content, the published races, and the published classes just a little bit. Some of them are going to be getting a little more of an overhaul than others, because some of them, in our opinion, are better than others. And at the end of everything, we're going to homebrew some magic items that are going to go on to these player characters, and we're going to test them at three different levels. We're going to test them at level three, so we can see how they do in early game. We're going to test them at level 11 to see how they run mid-game. And then, because most campaigns don't ever hit level 20, we're going to jump the shark and go straight into level 20 characters where they have all of their fun stuff and we get to see how all of it plays together and so that i'm looking forward to that and that should be a lot of fun and as we go through and like i said as we tinker as we change things we're going to explain our reasoning behind it it's not going to say well i think this half work should be green with purple dots because i like purple dots and that's the way it is no if there was a reason to have purple dots in your half work we would go through and explain either via lore that we've built in our own worlds or that have been carried through in previous manuals and editions of dungeons 
Dungeons and Dragons through the Wizards or things like that. So we are going to try to give a good reasoning and backing to each of our choices. That said, while we're here, we invite you to interact with us too. If we come up with an idea that you think is absolutely wonderful, please message us via our Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or email. Say, hey, I really like this idea. If you think we're completely off base, come back and say, I think you completely missed on this one and this is why. And give your reasoning and we will consider it. And that could be something that maybe the two of us together have missed. As we proceed on, again, as after we get our basic sets down, we kind of get our feet under us we hope to get more and more of our listener interactions and then maybe there's a character or a class that you've always kind of imagined or wanted but wasn't sure so you know what i want an old western six shooter ranger in 5e how would you do that and maybe that's something we could take an episode to break down eventually and go through and see how would we work that out and balance it out and this first set that we're going to be doing i'm thinking we're going to be focusing more on the mechanics than any of the soft abstract stuff And we are going to be focusing on currently published material and how we would alter it in our game. But later on, we're going to start introducing custom archetypes for classes, custom classes, custom races, things that we have created, and talking about our methods, our process of going through how we start from a concept and how we build it out to be something tangible, something usable. So as an example of this, one of the archetypes that I'm really looking forward to building with Ian, talking about how sometimes the game goes off the rails and characters take up their own life. I am really looking forward to building a rogue archetype of a knicker nabber. Um, (laughs) This happened to be a thing that Ian and I played I'll let him explain where the knicker never came from, but I had a bard, the story came up, and it became a thing that I had to do. So whenever I can throw any reference to a knicker never into anything, I try to. I actually had my bard start writing a bardic story about Larry the Knicker Nabber. Larry the Knicker Nabber and Kobold. So the story goes, I was running a one-shot, which ended up becoming a two-shot, for my wife for her birthday. And she has a human swashbuckler named Brianna Selinger that she just absolutely loves to play. And so I made this level 10 one-shot, and I rolled up some characters for our friends to play in this game for her for her birthday. And so they roll up into this town, and James, who is a gnome bard based on Elton John, so he's walking through, he's got the red pleather platform boots and the big blue sunglasses, and he's playing a pacifist bard in 3.5, which is really hard to do, but he decides to go through the town to get some information on the task at hand that they're in town to investigate, and he goes into this bar, and no one wants to talk to him except for this one absolutely filthy, disgusting drunkard who's grown to his bar stool in the corner, and he's just four sheets to the wind, and he is going on and on about this knicker-nabbing kobold that is going through town and stealing ladies' knickers off of the clothesline. And for some reason, James just latched onto this, and it became the running joke of the night. It wasn't even planned. I didn't even plan to have this whole knicker-nabbing kobold in the storyline. It was just, I needed this drunk guy to be rambling on about something, and the thing that he'd be rambling on about to be just crazy enough that no one else in the bar wanted to talk to him. But yeah, and that's one of those things, is the littlest off-the-cuff thing can really develop a lot. 
Death Island Sound. Now, aside from the Nicker Nabbing Kobold, which, again, is one of my favorite things in the world, the other very important lesson is you don't pee in the wind, you don't pull on Superman's cape, and you don't roll seduction on a dragon. <laughs> yes, because this disgusting, crusty old drunkard was actually a black dragon, and they ended up having to fight him later. And at one point, James polymorphed him into a toad and then tried to run after him with his stumpy little gnome legs to find him when he hit the ground so he could lick him. So, yeah, it wound up me and, and greasy, crusty old, old barman, we had a special moment. <laughs> and it, that's one way but yeah exactly it. and that's that's the fun of the game like i said that the game can be as serious or as campy as you like again that's world building that's role playing ian does some amazing role playing i try to learn from him with that as best i can that might be something we discuss in parts as we go through too is how to role play either as a character or even as a dm because if you can role play your characters as a dm that makes the game so much more memorable and more fun for your players and I fully credit all of my time as a DM for my quality of roleplay in-game because I'm sitting there at the table with my character thinking, what can I do to liven up this game for the DM? It's like, what can I throw him to latch onto? That, as a player, is one of the best feelings in the world. You don't try to go out and break the game, but if you can do something, again, not necessarily off the wall or outlandish, but do something that catches the DM by surprise and you they've got all this stuff lined up and they step out and you can see them trying to puzzle like okay what to do next and that's always fun and again that's a good challenge amongst friends uh some world building thing i hope we get to do with ian later on one of the campaigns i was working with him on we tried to do a facebook campaign via text and it wound up unfortunately fizzling i might try to get it at another point just refining different things but i had this huge campaign built up and one of the things i really wanted to world build is i really wanted to mess with the economy and i don't want to say too much more than that because if i decide to use this campaign again i don't want to give too much of it away but part of it was is that there was some priests and there was some kids that disappeared and the party that ian was in decided to go and rule number one if your players never split the party never ever ever split the party this party split the party three different ways so the very first thing was we start off on this investigation and we come out and it's late at night i mean it is like midnight and so some of the party wants to continue on their investigation and i'm like no it's midnight i'm going back to the barracks and i'm going to sleep and so and so he left and so i left <laughs> much to my detriment <laughs> yeah um and so he left and then the party was like well we're going to go investigate and so they went to investigate and the other part of the party was like well we need to head back to the tavern and so they they went off to the tavern and so for me as a dm again something that was going to be just a quick random here's a quick skirmish kind of get everybody used to rolling dice be i had to really modify that so again that goes back to world building and how to balance the game so again there's always times where things can come out of left field and it is how you adapt like i said there are stories on top of stories but to get back on track what we really plan to do is building characters building items building a world with our reasoning behind it how to adapt those to a story how to use different tricks for dming trying to hopefully get more people interested in dming and just playing the game in general again we're trying to get people in discover that get that feeling of discovery and wonder that tends to fade as we grow up unfortunately and while mechanically a lot of the stuff that we're going to be 
talking about is going to be for D&D 5e because that's the game that we're playing. What I'm hoping to do as we really start fleshing out this podcast is by the end of everything be doing more of the abstract concepts behind what we're doing so that we can have something that people who are not running Dungeons and Dragons who are running other games like Pathfinder or Starfinder something using the fate system something that they can grab and use narratively in what they're doing something more than just well I'm going to give this race these stats and these abilities well that's all fine and good but if you're going from the D20 system and Dungeons and Dragons to the fate system they're apples and oranges you can't take something from D&D and put it into fate and make it work because the combat system is completely different so what we're really hoping here to do ultimately is kind of to stoke the fires and pump the bellows of the community's creative process not just through D&D but through all games uh, like I said you do the fate system the starfinder system Jedi system I, if you play 40k or, or Warhammer things like that I mean why can't you tinker with those rules yeah granted the games workshops you're not going to be able to play a standard tournament with that but if you're just playing at home and having fun have fun with it it's it's your world so yeah again we are hoping to to encourage people to grab the reins and create their own yeah and what you just said is something that i find is really important is this is a game you should be having fun if you're not having fun then you're playing the game wrong i mean there is no point to playing a game except to have fun and if it's not fun then you're playing it wrong Winning gambling debts is a second option, (laughs) but I guess winning is fun, so we'll go with that. Well, I mean, gambling is not the same thing as (laughs) role-playing. You can gamble in role-playing. Yes, you can. And building games within the games, you know, building some mini-games is something that we might actually take a couple episodes on. There's several mini games that I enjoy throwing at my characters that I like doing early in a campaign again so they can kind of get used to rolling dice or if maybe life happens to the DM and I'm not quite ready for the next part of the campaign then hey you want to play this game in the tavern because it's really really fun. Yeah that happens sometimes. Yeah, so- sometimes your party will just take a left turn and ignore all of the material that you have prepared for tonight and so rather than just deciding, well, we're going to stop playing now 30 minutes into our session because I don't have anything prepared anymore. You have to throw something together. I've had that happen on a couple of occasions. So It does happen. And again, uh, that creative process uh, will really help you be able to grab those moments, adapt, and then maybe make something memorable and fun out of it. So we talked about the characters and the classes and the items, but eventually I'm also wanting to talk about actual world building how to build a city how to build an economy how to populate a world in a way that's believable the simple tricks that you can do to where you can build a city for your party to go into and put minimal effort into it and your party doesn't realize that you've put minimal effort into it that's always a wonderful feeling that's like when everybody loves your duncan hines box brownies and these are the best brownies ever and you're like yeah i just poured everything into a bowl and threw it in the oven. <laughs> that, that happens sometimes too. So talking about world building and things like that, like I said, that requires a good amount of imagination. There's some sources. So what do you draw on? Where are your, what are your forms of inspiration for, well, when you want to build a creature or a world, what has inspired you through your youth and to now? Where, where do you get your ideas from? 
predominantly I get mine from the books I read and the video games I play. I read a lot of fantasy. I'm currently working through The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Glenn Cook, The Black Company, is one of my favorite authors. More recently, uh, N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth trilogy, starting with the fifth season, that is an absolutely phenomenal world and system that she has going there. I prefer my fantasy to be low magic to high magic, and that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy The Black Company, why I enjoy Broken Earth, and to an extent why I'm enjoying The Way of Kings, because magic is there. There are people who use magic, but it's not a common thing. It is something that only a few people use, and they use it with very specific purposes. I I would like that, yeah. Um, That series you mentioned uh, sounds like a really good one to kind of pick up on. And then by comparison, you know, I've gone through the whole Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan, and I'm going to stand by my statement that Brandon Sanderson was the best thing to happen to the Wheel of Time, because those last three books really improved the entire... They saved the series, in my opinion. They did. Jordan was kind of floundering towards the end, you could tell. Well, um, that, was, that was also the dementia. Yeah, granted. That being said, I kind of think Sanders cut a few corners, particularly in the last book. But understanding how large and unwieldy the series was, he kind of had to. But yes, he 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 did wrap it up very well. And he had to stay true to the notes that Jordan left him. I mean, he was finishing the series, but it was still Robert Jordan's series. And so there was only so much liberty he could take. But Andrew. The black coat in the last three books. Andrew is my homeboy. Get that? I mean, he was clearly Brandon Sanderson's. This is my token character in this series because. Right. I mean, I think he may have been mentioned in one of the prologues in one of the earlier books. So I think he was an existing character in the world that Brandon Sanderson just grabbed and fleshed out to facilitate the narrative of everything that was going on in the Black Tower. And I should probably have started this off with, this is going to have spoilers for people who haven't read The Wheel of Time yet, but, you know, too bad. (laughs) But so, Andrew, his whole thing is making gateways. That is his talent. That is the one thing that he is really good at. He can barely hold enough power to do any of the other things that any of the other black coats are able to do, but by God, he can make a gateway. And he can do it with basically no effort at all. And just the things that have nothing to do with magic in the background of this character. I mean, he's talking with Pavara, the Aes Sedai that he ends up bonding with, and he just casually in conversation mentions there's one time that he went on this trip with Jane Farstrider and like what (laughs) (laughs) he just he just he just drops this line it's it's in the middle of of the final battle and they're they're catching a breather and he just drops this line like yeah this one time when I was on this trip with Jane Farstrider and we did this thing and he never revisits it It, it's it's just a a throwaway line I'm like wait what (laughs) (laughs) he's like yeah, and, you know, I spent this period of time working on a fishing boat out of Tyr, and then I spent this other period of time learning herbalism from the wise women, even though I'm a man and they don't typically do that. And just all of the different places that he drew these little bits and pieces of himself from, which played into the reason why he was able to use gateways 
in such an efficient manner because he was a traveler. He went to all of these places. He knows how to travel and all of the minutia of actually going on a journey. And so it made sense that he would be able to, with his very limited power, do gateways. And that is a wonderful example of a homebrew character. He, he took a character that was barely mentioned in an epilogue, or not an epilogue, but a prologue, and yet he fleshed it out. And this character isn't magically huge, it's not big, but yet he becomes, he becomes very important in the story because, again, his ability to gateways. He's got a great background, he's got these things, so he functions well within the framework of the story, but he wasn't really in there originally. He's not really overpowered. He's kind of a weaker character when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of things, but yet still extremely memorable. Until they give him a full circle, and then he destroys an army, but... <laughs> well, you know, but at that point he had help. Yeah, yeah. But that's still one of my favorite deus ex machinas in fantasy literature is, yeah, I'm just going to open a gateway into the middle of the biggest volcano in the world, and we're just going to dump lava on the enemy. And I'm just going to hold the gate open for a little while, and we're going to dump all this lava out, and then I'm going to close it, and it's going to harden up, and you'll be fine. Why not? It works. It, it, it <laughs> totally worked. <laughs> but that that's... Again, going back to what you were saying earlier, he took what he had and he improvised with it and used it in a completely unexpected way to great success. My experience and inspiration with fantasy and literature, I, I grew up reading the old books that my dad had laying around, so I actually grew up reading a lot of the old sci-fi, Arthur C. Clarke, Jerry Pornell, Asimov, fantasy on my mom's side, so Eddings. Eddings are some of my favorite characters. I'll go through and read the David Ed Eddings series every couple of years, saying I'm literally going back and visiting old friends. Absolutely love the Dresden Files. I love the urban fantasy, where Ian likes a, a world and a thing with lesser magic. I enjoy that too, but what I really enjoy are worlds where there can be magic, but the magic has set rules or set lore. I love, love, love lore behind the magic and the reasonings and the explanations for it. Magic that comes at a cost. Absolutely love. That's one of the great things in the Dresden Files when you're dealing with the Fae and the fairies, you know. They'll give you all kinds of gifts for a price. And I love that in any kind of story or mechanic. And so when we're talking about building items, I really enjoy items that cost the character something, be it a curse, be it some sort of limitation, be it making them have to cluck like a chicken at strike of noon every day because they have a magical egg or something. I don't know. But just those things that... You don't want a freebie. Everything has a price. There's no such thing as a free lunch, even with magic. So what we're saying here is I prefer soft magic systems and you prefer hard magic systems. Very much so, yes. Yeah. I think that's just about got it for today, hasn't it? Yeah. So our, our zero session, what we call it, and it's kind of like the this is what we're doing and why. If you've not had a zero session in a gaming, generally that's where you get your players together and kind of see what they expect out of the game and you try to tell them how you're going to play. It was a bit of a rambling session that happens. Again, we're going to start pick up. We're going to start building. We're going to work at some races. We're going to start building some characters. But this session should give you a, hopefully a better idea of who Ian and I are, what we plan to do, what our ultimate goals are, and how we plan to accomplish that. Our first character we're going to be doing, we're going to be working on the orc race and probably going to go ahead and tackle the half-orc while we're at it because they should be more entwined 
in one another mechanically than they are currently in 5e and i have a lot of issues with the orcs so that means that we're going to have to do some work with the half orcs in order to have them meld together a little bit better a little more smoothly so the first race we're going to be doing is orc and we're probably going to be doing the fighter on top of that so orc fighter is going to be the first few episodes and like i said we're going to be sticking mostly to the mechanics at this point and once we get a few of these under our belts once we figure out what exactly it is that we are going to be doing and once we get some feedback from you our listeners on yes i like this no i don't like that i wish you would do more of this once we have that then we can start going a little more abstract going more into conceptual stuff and less into mechanical stuff but that's where we're going to be starting off Well, we thank you for joining us in our first step of a thousand miles. We hope you continue with us. Uh, Join us next time. As I said, we'll actually get into the nuts and the bolts. Start breaking down the orc and rebuilding it because we have the technology. We can build it better, faster, stronger. Yeah, the six million dollar orc. That's right. All right. Thank you for joining us for the Undercommon Taste podcast. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to your friends. If you have comments, corrections, suggestions, or ideas, please feel free to send them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can also find us on Twitter under the handle at UCT Homebrew and on Instagram and Facebook under Undercommon Taste. Our theme music is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Again, thank you for joining us, and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.